0: Welcome to another episode of the R Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua, your host, and today's episode will be a continuation on this series on technocracy. So, we've covered the fact that we are headed into an age of science, an age ruled by technocratic systems. And so, what we're doing now is looking into how a technocratic system can be and probably is or will be organized. What does that actually look like? And so in order to do this, I am using some examples from literature and other well-known sources and looking at how they described certain aspects that are relevant and similar and then apply those to This idea of a technocratic system of technocracy and since I believe we've already established pretty clearly that technocracy will be the main control system going forward in this coming age we're shifting into I think that as we look at what technocracy can look like how it can manifest I think it'll become clear that we are already in a phase of a technocratic system we are already in a phase of technocracy and we are shifting into another phase into a more advanced evolution of this idea of a technocratic system and then there will be some opposition to that and so as I lay out these different frameworks That's kind of a good way to look at it in your mind, where this first framework, this first example, will be the Machiavellian 1984 panopticon. And so that is this first look of what technocracy is, how that manifests, how it controls a population, manages society, these types of things. And it's done in a very visible and physical way, very material way. And this is more of what we are in today, would be my argument. Then as we shift into the evolution of the technocratic system, that's where my next set of examples would come into play. And this would be Plato's Brave New World Foundation. And this is a more immaterial a technocratic system. It's something focused on the social body as a whole. It's less visible. It's more steered behind the scenes, more automated, these types of things. And so that's what we are headed into. I would also say that there will be resistance to this in many forms, but one that I think will actually be realized and effective to some degree will be that in the form of religion. And so that's where my final set of illusions come into play, and I actually have two different branches of that, either a physical, material, visible, uh, that type of approach of a religious response, or the opposite, or the immaterial the more spiritual, the more decentralized manifestation, that those are probably the two options as far as what those effective responses will be. And I actually believe that they will both happen. I believe they both exist to a degree in our current time, and they will continue to exist and probably grow further as the technocracy gains more and more control and power and influence. So that's a good way to kind of think of how and why I am laying everything out like this. And as we get into this first set of illusions, and that's what this episode will be on, I think it's probably going to be two episodes worth of this first set. I'm going to try to cover the first two, and that would be The Prince and 1984. Then we'll see if I get to both of those. So let's go ahead and start off with this first set of allusions here and this is the first version of technocracy that we'll be addressing this is the machiavellian 1984 panopticon and those are obviously the three allusions machiavelli's the prince orwell's 1984 and jeremy bentham's the panopticon and we'll start off with this first one that would be machiavelli's the prince This is a very well-known work, and anybody that has really studied anything related to political philosophy and things of that nature should be very familiar with it. If you haven't read it, I would highly recommend it. It's pretty short, it's pretty easy to read, and it's pretty clear. So it's something that can, number one, benefit you by giving you some ideas and strategies. It's very effective. It's talking about very effective methods And so that can be helpful. It's also kind of a blueprint for how people rule other people. And it's one that gets used over and over and over again. And it's used by pretty much every ruling person person or entity or system or government that exists today. And again, it's very effective. So knowing how and why a state is acting in a certain way or a ruler is acting in a certain way can really help you in understanding what is happening, what's going to happen, how to resist effectively these types of things. So what I've done is I read The Prince, and while reading it, I would jot down notes for all of the things that I felt were applicable concepts to this perspective. So there's a lot more that you can get out of the book, The Prince. There are a lot more concepts in there, and there are a lot more applications of even the concepts that I'll be talking about. So it's kind of like Plato's Republic. I've covered that probably, I don't even know, four or five times at least throughout the course of this podcast as a whole. But I think every time I've approached it from a different angle, I've talked about different concepts. And when I've talked about the same concepts, often I have applied them differently according to whatever season I was in or the context of the episodes before and after, that kind of thing. And so I think this is a similar thing. I'm not trying to do an overall summary of the prints. What I am doing is taking the prints and drawing out things that are relevant for assessing a technocratic system. As far as chronology is concerned, like I said, I do believe that we are currently in a version of a physical technocracy of this first set of illusions, this Machiavellian 1984 panopticon. I think we are currently living in that to some degree. Now, kind of like I've talked about shifting between these different ages of man and historical cycles and patterns, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly where you are when you're in it. That's something that it really takes uh, probably hundreds of years later to really be able to assess those things with any sort of accuracy. But what I can say is that we are probably somewhere in the spectrum of this rule of the technocracy in its physical form. And we could be just now entering that. We could be in the middle of it. We could be near the end of it and phasing into the next group of illusions I'll cover, but we're somewhere in that range. So that can give you at least a broad idea of roughly how to look at this. And as I go through these various illusions, examples, and concepts, maybe that can be playing in the back of your mind, and you can think about how those apply to our current and modern age. Are these things that are in full effect now? Do you see them getting started, or do you see that they've already been in effect for years or decades even? So as we talk about this idea of technocracy, this idea really got popular in the 30s. So the source that I typically draw from is William Henry Smith, who, as far as I know, is the one that coined the term first of technocracy. And As far as I know, he wasn't directly related to the technocracy movement out of Columbia University and Technocracy, Inc., and all of those things that you'll hear about if you actually study technocracy. If you listen to Patrick Wood or people of that nature that talk about the history of technocracy, that's where they usually take it, and that was in the 30s. I believe William Henry Smith was writing in the late 20s, if I remember right, um, it was either the, tw- I think it was sometime in the 20s. I'm just not sure where in the 20s, but he was definitely before Technocracy Inc. and that movement got going. But either way, you can see how this movement has been around for quite a while. Number one. Number two, I've shown how these ideas have been around for. An even longer time. So, some of these allusions I'm drawing from, like The Prince and like Plato's Republic, these are old works. These were well before the 20s and 30s. So, these ideas have been around. If you go back to the Rhodes Roundtable groups and things like that, so I've done uh, many episodes on that. If you have not listened to them, go back and listen to the Corruption and Conspiracy episodes in season one. I honestly have no idea where they are in season one. Just search through and you'll find it. But in those, I cover this a lot about these groups and these powers behind the scenes, kind of like all the quotes that I mentioned a few episodes ago. Uh, These are things that were happening in the early 1900s before the technocracy movement, but they kind of coalesce and, uh, The reason why I am talking about all this and mentioning all of these things as a side note before getting into the prints is that it is clear that some aspects of technocracy, the way we are looking at it, have existed since a minimum the 20s and 30s, probably the early 1900s. And that's where it seems that it really got its start. No, again, that doesn't necessarily mean that it got its start then, it's been so long, so maybe it's peaked and it's headed back down, heading into the next phase. Not necessarily. Things like this, when we're looking at history, we're looking at societies and nations, looking at this macro view, these things can take decades, they can take centuries to really play out. Look at how long Rome existed for. That was a very long time. And so that this is not something to say that, oh, we're well past the beginning, and so therefore we're near the end. No, but I am saying that a lot of this stuff has been going on and building for at a minimum a few decades, probably even close to 100 years. And so if that is the case, then we are definitely... I would say, I shouldn't say definitely, my personal opinion is that we are somewhere at least in the middle of this phase, and I think it's really starting to ratchet up. I would say we're kind of really in the middle of it, where it's been well-established behind the scenes, and it's starting to become clear. It's starting to come to the front and starting to be a clear dominant power In the world. And I think that is where we are personally. And we're starting to see the beginnings of this next set of illusions that I'll get into later Plato's Brave New World Foundation. We're beginning to see the beginnings of that, but we are still in the heat of this first set. And that would at least be my personal opinion. But again, you assess it as we go through these and come up with your own opinion. So, With the prince, Machiavelli is mainly talking about how to rule. How do you rule as a prince, as a ruler? How do you govern and control a population? And how do you do this effectively and successfully? What are some of the pitfalls? How do you handle uh, rule and governance as well as war, as well as different threats, internal and external? How do you get the uh, basically, how do you win the hearts and minds of the people you are governing? All of these types of things. This is what the prince is for. It's basically a manual for understanding these things for rulers, and it was written hundreds of years ago, so it is not modern and current, but the concepts definitely are. They are pretty evergreen, and like I said, have been applied ever since this was written and before. So I'll just go ahead and start off with the first note that I have, and I'll just work through these and talk about these individually. They may not necessarily flow extremely well together. I think that I wrote them down chronologically as far as the book is concerned, but as they apply to technocracy, that doesn't necessarily mean that these are laid out the way that I would personally chronologically lay out an outline of these concepts. Concepts related to technocracy. So it might seem a little jagged at times. I honestly don't know. Um, We will see. So let's start off with this first point. Machiavelli says that the prince should live in the territory that he conquers, and he should do this because he needs the quick opportunity to strike or for regress. And so, as far as a strategy of what to do with your conquered territory, how to rule it, these types of things, well, the prince should actually move to that territory, live there. When he's there, he then is able to strike right away if he needs to. He's able to pull back right away if he needs to. And he's there, he's on the ground, able to do what he needs to do. I am actually going to pair this with the next point because I think they really play well together. The next point is that he says that the prince should destroy the previous rulers and take over the previous system, that new systems are difficult to implement and And so, what you should do is modify and continue the old system. So, this is something that I mentioned, I believe, in the previous episode as well. But um, pair these two together, and it's talking about how do you manage conquered territory and peoples. So, the prince has conquered an area. What does he do next? Well, He is to wipe out the old rulers, so basically kill off. It typically would have been a royal family at the time or maybe a senate of some kind. You kill them all off because you don't want to leave potential enemies behind. You could, and that might look uh, good for you, and you might win some sympathies from the local population, but that's just going to be too dangerous. It is better to just cut them out, kill them off, get totally rid of them, get rid of the threat, then you can take over. But instead of just implementing whatever system you want, what you need to do is understand what the previous system was and and continue that system just under your complete rule. And so, in doing so, the population is still experiencing something similar, something familiar, something that they're used to. It's just with a different face at the top, so to say. And then the changes and modifications are going to get rolled out in time, and they're going to get rolled out slightly. It's not just this complete break with a brand new thing, Instead, you are continuing this old system that the people know, they're familiar with, and you are just doing this under your own control. You are also living in the territory, so you are there. You're not conquering this territory and then ruling it from afar being the faceless ruler no you are going to be there they're going to know who you are they're going to see you as the head of this system they're going to see some of the changes that you make even though you're not totally changing everything and as you are there when threats do appear when someone does come to attack when there is opposition to your rule you are right there so number one That's a deterrent. If the prince is living in a city, uh, someone is probably much less likely to stand in the town square and criticize the ruler. If you are living thousands of miles away, that's probably a lot more likely to happen. And so, uh, number one, you've got this deterrent factor. Number two, let's say that there is criticism, that there is someone that comes out in the public square and is talking about how horrible the new ruler is and how his plans are taking away the freedoms and liberties of their people and how immoral it was to kill off the previous king and queen or whatnot, Uh, well, if the prince is living there, then he can just immediately order his soldiers, get that situation taken care of, take out that person that's calling him out and the issue is dealt with immediately. He can strike right away. Well, what if there are surrounding territories that he might be able to conquer and spread his reign out, and he thinks that he can do this well, and that's what he wants to do. It's not going to spread him too thin. Well, if you're there and on the ground, you're much more likely to have the information you need. You're going to be able to attack when the opportunity comes up right away without having to wait for news to travel back to you. You to get news out, possibly even physically ride there yourself, before you can actually get something going, you need to be able to act immediately. And that is both to deal with threats, as well as to strike, as well as there's always this possibility that you can't hold your conquered territory. This did happen quite frequently, still does. And so, In that case, you want to be able to pull out, to pull out your resources, your people, pull out yourself. You want to be able to do this right away as soon as you know that you're not going to be able to hold it. And so if you are there, you can make that judgment right away. Now, you could appoint a general or someone else to rule in your stead, so to say, and to make decisions as they come up in time. But you are going to be counting on other people to make decisions in the moment that are going to be the right decisions and the right assessments. You as the prince... You probably want to make those assessments yourself and be able to act. That's why you are the ruler. That's why you are the prince, because you can do this and you can do this well. And you need to be there in order to really do this well. So as we apply this to the modern idea of technocracy, technology really plays a big role in this and the evolution of technocracy and having a more uh, technological system in place Makes these things more applicable and it makes them easier to implement without having to jump through a lot of the hoops that used to have to be done when you did not have instant communication and instant ways of carrying things out, things of this nature. And so, since we have the technology for automatic information transfer and data flow the prince, the technocracy, the system, the rulers, uh, they don't necessarily have to live in a certain physical location. That's not really a requirement. Now, you probably still do want to live in the country you're ruling over, if we're still talking about a nation-state scenario, and you still want to be in a prominent place where you live is something that does have impact, but you don't Necessarily have to physically be in a location to take advantage of all these things that Machiavelli talks about because you need to be able to strike when the opportunity comes up, you need to be able to retreat when you need to, and these things are no longer physical matters. So, as we go back to this idea of historical cycles and that we're headed into a more immaterial age and out of the more material age, technology does have a lot to do with this, and so. Since we are living in an age with technology and that is more immaterial, the material aspects do not have the same prominence. So if something comes up and let's say there is major dissent against you as a ruler or against the system as a whole, what can happen? Well, you can automatically censor them, cut them off. And basically kill them off, so to say, but you do that virtually and digitally and not physically, although it still sometimes happens physically, not quite as much as it used to, and it does not have the same requirement that it used to to strike physically. The same is true with regress and retreat. It's not necessarily that you have troops in the street controlling the population. It's more that you're controlling a narrative. And you need to be able to backtrack, to change your story, to put some spin on something that has come out if something comes out against you. So let's say the Epstein scenario. And if you go back to earlier episodes, uh, especially if you listen to that Corruption and Conspiracy series that I did in season one... I believe one of the update episodes, which I used to update episodes in between, uh, one of those was when the Epstein story broke. So brief side note, that's kind of interesting. I've gone back and listened to that for some reason and uh, and found that I was actually talking about the Epstein story as it was happening. And so that is now recorded for you to enjoy if you go back and listen to that. But uh, the Epstein scenario is a good example where all of a sudden information has come out and people are now aware that th- there is this, uh, underage sex trafficking ring, all these politicians are included, and state leaders and corporate leaders and big mess. Well, what do you do? This is a threat to the ruling system, to the ruling individuals. How do you handle this? Well, immediately there was a spin on it and immediately they started to control the narrative. They pin it all on the one person, on Epstein. They might have a few scapegoats that might get into some trouble, but in general, all of the attention is on this one person, And then that person ended up getting physically killed. So uh, again, that still does happen when it is needed. But the most important part was controlling the narrative. And uh, that's probably why he was killed is because if that would have gone to trial, more information would have gotten out and it would have been harder to control the narrative and therefore the dissent. And so deal with that when it happens. You strike when the opportunity comes up and that's what happens. I think I mentioned it in those older episodes. I'm not going to go over it again, but kind of the timing of when the FBI raided his apartment and the evidence they collected and all these kinds of things, it was very opportunistic. There was an opportunity, and there was a strike, and there was a control of the narrative, and that is what happened. I think I do need to take a step back, though. Again, I seem to always be going back to a more macro perspective, but When we're talking about a technocracy, it is definitely different than talking about a prince. So uh, the reason why I mention individual rulers as well as a technological system is because they both are, in a sense, the same entity, and that is the entity of a technocracy. So if you haven't read Ted Kaczynski's books yet, uh, definitely read Technological Slavery. It has the manifesto to begin with, and then it has a lot of letters between him and someone else after he was in jail. And it is very good, especially even if you just read the manifesto, it's pretty short. uh, I think what's his name, Pete Quinonez on Freeman Beyond the Wall. He is currently doing a series on the manifesto with someone from the Timeline Earth podcast. And so that is something I would highly recommend listening to if you have interest in this. But either way, coming from Kaczynski, you get this picture of what the technological system is, and that the system itself perpetuates itself. It defends itself. It evolves itself. It's not that individuals are necessarily working to progress the system deliberately and uh, control others for the sake of the system. Uh, those things do happen, but the system itself becomes its own self-perpetuating entity. You can go back to the concept that Venarmani talked about, about how corporations are gods in the ancient sense, where it is this this immaterial entity that has control, but it's not an actual person, but it does have influence over many different people and individuals and different people and individuals are involved with this entity, working for this entity, doing the bidding of the entity, and yet this entity is not an actual person. It has no physical location. It has no one thing that you can point at and say, that is the thing. That is the corporation. That is the state. No, it's it's something else. It's what the ancients might have considered a god. It's what Kaczynski calls a system. And the current technological system is this. And so when I talk about the technocracy, at least in my mind, it is this technological system paired with the let's say, elite rulers behind the scenes, there are individuals. So let's say, um, if you're looking more historically, let's say the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, people like Cecil Rhodes, these people of influence, Carnegie, these types. And so uh, those get carried forward and you have people more like, uh, let's say, Bill Gates, possibly an Elon Musk, uh, Zuckerberg, people like this. And so this is where the system is heading. There are individuals, there are rulers, but at the same time, there is this system itself that is its own entity. And so it's interesting with a technocracy, you have the experts that are running things, but they're running a technological system. They don't actually have complete control over it in a technocracy. As you apply technology as it exists today, a lot of it will be done by AI and algorithms and be more automatic, and so it's this weird blend of individuals and immaterial entity and immaterial entity. And so that is the technocracy. So that's why I'm going to refer to both systems and rulers. And that's kind of at least how I see it as it exists today. Now, with the prince, Machiavelli is talking about conquered territory and what you do with the conquered territory. The conquered territory in today's world is is the masses. It's the population. It's society. Uh, People have been conquered by these rulers and this system. Uh, And I say this because... The rulers in the system control the people, and they make all the rules for the people, and the people do what they're told. They are disciplined by the system and by the rulers. They are given their everything, their morality, their laws, their, their everything, their resources. All of this is controlled by the system and the rulers. And so the people, so to say, the masses have been conquered. Now, this... Conquered territory, let's say the population of a country, what do you do with that population as a ruler? How do you rule over that population effectively? Well, again, you have to be there. You have to be monitoring things. You have to get that flow of information and data at all times in real time so that you can quickly jump on an opportunity to strike or quickly put some spin on something or retreat on a certain area or subject. And again, a lot of this, I would say, is more immaterial. It's economic. It's um, information flow. It's things like this. It's not necessarily armies and soldiers and these types of things. But that's what you want to do. You have to be there. You have to be ready. You have to be getting this information. So you need that technology to be working for you and set up as a system and fairly automated, especially in today's world. And then what you do is You don't just tell the people, okay, now you're going to be ruled by the technocracy. So all praise the technate, we are going to do what's best for you. We have all these experts and they are going to make all the decisions and uh, they know what they're doing. So trust them, trust the experts. Well, you do hear some of that. You do hear, trust the experts. You do see the experts uh, making decisions. You see this technological system uh, really having a lot of governance control over the population. So some of this is coming into play, but that's not just a totally new shift. It's not that you just throw the old system out. So if we say the population society was conquered Well, the old system still remains. So let's talk about America. You still have the American government. You have Congress. You have the House. You have all of these different things. You have governors and mayors over your local principalities. You have the president. You have all of these, the State Department, the Pentagon. All of these things still exist, They're physical things. They're physical people. They're also immaterial things with immaterial goals and immaterial systems. They are all of it. And that is the old system. That is still the current system, but with some modifications. And so that's what's happening is that the old system gets modified in order to be more useful for the new ruler who has conquered the territory. So as the technocracy conquers the People, then it takes over the old system, and it is acting in real time as a system to impart its control over the population. Now, the next point from Machiavelli's The Prince that I have here is that mixed systems of governance are very difficult to control. He says that autocracy is the easiest, but that republics are very difficult. And so... Think about this, especially with this example of the United States of America, that the United States of America was founded as a republic. But what shift have you seen in the past few decades, at a minimum, a shift towards something that is more democratic and more autocratic? So you have more and more executive power that is uh, getting established. And you have this unelected deep state, so to say, that has a lot of power in our government. And this is not just something that's happened over the past decade or past administration or two. Again, go all the way back to the early 1900s for uh, some very clear examples of this happening. Look at the Council on Foreign Relations, or probably more specifically, the Trilateral Commission, and how many people In head positions in government have been also members of the Trilateral Commission, whether that be presidents, the head of the CIA, um, uh, people that run the State Department... National Defense, all of these things. Uh, There's a lot of overlap there. So you're going to get a ridiculous amount of overlap with the CFR. But the Trilateral Commission, at least, is a smaller group. And so that might be a little easier to see. But either way, you've got these people that are not necessarily elected by the masses. So this is the idea of autocracy, that you have someone at the top that is ruling over everybody else. It's not that everybody else is choosing who is making some decisions for them in a representative system, that's a republic, and that's not what we have. Uh, And I I say that intentionally, and I know that technically America is a republic. But in reality, how it functions today is much less like a republic than it is like some of these other types of systems. Uh, A lot of The way that the government functions in today's world is autocratic, and a lot of it is democratic. I would argue that the democratic aspects are a facade and a way to control things, and the autocratic aspects are even more intense than most people realize. That would be my personal opinion. But either way, it fits really well with what Machiavelli is saying here. So it's the same idea that I talked about before, about how when you conquer a territory, you conquer a people group, then you don't necessarily just change all their systems. Well, let's say that this concept of a technocracy has been gaining more and more steam, been gaining more and more influence and control since, let's say, the early 1900s. Well, what has also happened? It's not that we switched to a technocratic governance system. There was a call for that. I believe it was FDR that uh, Technocracy Inc. actually wanted to become dictator. They wanted him to just claim that he was the dictator and they would support him and he would start the technate and this would all be a real physically manifested thing. That's not what happened. And according to Machiavelli, that would not have been very wise. What you need to do is you need to take over the old system and then slowly change it and work it towards what you need it for. And oh, what do you think has been happening to America ever since the Constitution? It's been slowly changing to be more and more autocratic, more and more democratic, and more and more controlled by both the system and and the elites behind the scenes of the system. And so that's what's going on, and this is why it is playing out this way. Machiavelli says that sovereignty comes from either the nobles or the people, and between the two, the masses are easier and more important to control. And with this, what you need to do is gain the masses, you gain the allegiance of the masses, and you organize the nobles to your favor. So instead of putting all your focus on gaining control of the nobles and then trying to manipulate the masses, you gain control of the masses and then you manipulate how the nobles are organized. And this is where sovereignty comes from within a population, within a governance system. So that is what you need to focus on. And again, that's where I was saying in the previous note there that democracy is is more of a facade, and it's easier to control. Well, that's exactly what's going on here. We'll talk about that more with Plato, where you have the masses that have more control. Well, they're easier to manipulate. You think of a modern technological system with propaganda, media, censorship, all of these types of things... It's a lot easier to control a narrative and control the masses than it is to control the minority of people that are, uh, let's say, in this noble class. Let's say um, the people at the top end of society, the high class folks it's harder to control them than it is to just control the general masses so what you do is you control the general masses and then with them on your side and having the sovereignty that that gains you you then start to manipulate and change the order of the nobles in the organization of them you raise some up you bring some down you add some in these types of things and you organize that noble class that Upper class, that kind of ruling influential class, but not at the top, you organize them in a way that plays out to your benefit, then you have them in a good position and the masses in a good position, and you have the sovereignty that you need that is, in a sense, willingly given. You are not forcing it out of people. Now, a part of this is this next note that you dole out benefits slowly and one at a time to increase the savoring of them as well as to make the subjects more dependent on you. So, you have benefits that you are going to give out to the people. You're not just going to be this tyrant that is despised. That would be a very foolish way to rule. If you want to be successful, you need the people on your side. That was the last point. You need the masses. Well, how do you get the masses? You give them things. You give them benefits. You give them stuff. You give them money, whatever. And as you do this, you don't just give them a bunch of stuff. That's not how this works. What you do is you dole out these things slowly and over time, one at a time, so that the people appreciate each one more and more, and their appreciation is spread out over all of these different benefits that they're receiving from you, so they, in total, appreciate you much, much more and for a much longer period of time. Not only that, but they come to depend on these benefits that you are doling out to them. So if it's something that's repetitive, if it's something that has continued for a long period of time, they get used to it, and they enjoy these benefits that you're giving them, then over time, they do become dependent on these benefits. They are making their life decisions based on receiving these benefits and It's not just the benefits they're dependent on. Now they're dependent on you, the ruler, and you could say the system. When we look at the earlier time periods of the technocracy starting to build, this is when the welfare state was really established. So again, if you look at America and the early 1900s, it was fairly small. And especially going back before that in the 1800s, the welfare state was Extremely small when compared to modern times. And after the 1900s uh, come into play, it starts to grow and grow and grow and grow, uh, especially through the world wars and especially in modern times. You see that the welfare state is now very large. Uh, what do you think the effect of something like stimulus checks for COVID are going to have on people? Well, it's money, it's benefits that are handed out and doled out slowly, over time, one at a time. And people are starting to get used to that, becoming dependent on having that check coming every month. And yeah, what's going to happen? They're more dependent on you, on the government, on the state, on the system. And that is what is currently happening. (laughs) The welfare state is a good example. And for a very specific example, the COVID stimulus checks are a very good example. I'm not sure how other countries are handling that. So, Uh, Maybe, listeners, if you're in a different country and you can report that to me, then that might be helpful. But uh, this is what's happening. The idea of universal basic income is this. It's the next step from the welfare state to something more. And this is what's currently happening. Another thing that Machiavelli states, and this is not as related to the previous ones, is that you do not use mercenaries that they are untrustworthy and will abandon or rob you. So this was something that was very common in his day, that mercenaries would be hired to fight for a ruler, a lord, and fight his battles, But this would also go wrong very often where the mercenaries would raid local villages and that would then make the people hate the ruler and they would blame the ruler for the things the mercenaries did. Or maybe the ruler wasn't able to get gold or resources to the mercenaries in a timely manner and the mercenaries turn on them or they just up and leave. They're not going to fight without getting paid, that kind of thing. And so the mercenaries became a threat. Sometimes they would even conquer a territory and then just keep it for themselves and not give it to the ruler that hired them. And mercenaries are just not trustworthy, like Machiavelli says. And so because of this, you don't use them. Now, in one way, you could see that this is not how things are going in modern times. Let's look at the wars in the Middle East. There has been a greater and greater and greater focus on independent contractors that are working, and uh, basically, they're mercenaries. In the Middle East. And uh, I guess maybe we're out of those wars officially. Uh, We'll kind of see if that lasts. But uh, as of this recording, at least, we have pulled out of most of those places to a significant degree. So we'll see. But as you look at the evolution of those wars from, let's say, the 9-11 time period to now, or you could even go before that, but... Uh, In that time period, you saw more and more contractors that were doing things overseas associated with that war. Some of that was fighting and some of that was infrastructure. There were lots of other things going on, but mercenaries were getting hired more and more. For a different example, the same is true of the infrastructure for the state as a whole. If you look at something like Amazon that has contracts for the Defense Department, the CIA, the NSA, basically running their Uh, web services behind the scenes, a lot of their data infrastructure, these types of things These are all subcontracted out to companies like Amazon or Google or Alphabet or the like. And so it's not just a physical warfare where you're seeing more and more mercenaries in a more traditional sense. It's also a lot of the other things that are part of the system. It's the censorship. Is the government outright censoring people all the time? Well, no, a lot of that's outsourced to someone like a Facebook or, again, a Google or someone like that. And this is what's happening. So on one hand, you might say that, the state is not acting in a princely manner, in a Machiavellian manner. But we're not necessarily just talking about the state. This is not about the state. If you just want things about the state, go back to season one. We are moving beyond the state and talking about the technocracy. We're talking about the technological system. We're talking about the true ruling system, which is not just the state. It's not just the president and the representatives that have been elected that's not the ruling entity that's the whole point of the technocracy is that it's something else it's a separate entity and what is the technocracy uh, what is it made up of well a lot of it and if you go back to season 2 this was my main th- point in season two was that it comes out of the corporate world. That's the equivalent of the nobility back in the time of, well, roughly the prince. And so in modern times, it's the corporate world and it's big tech. That's the example that I pounded in over and over again, that big tech would be one of the biggest sources of the ruling elite of the technocracy. And so who is getting outsourced? a lot of these duties. Who is the state going to in a lot of different areas? It's big tech. Now, uh, obviously, you still have the military industrial complex, and that still exists, and that's still a thing. So the physical example of the wars in the Middle East, those were actual mercenaries that were being used, and that did happen And that still does happen. But uh, I would say the more important thing, again, in the modern times and in our shifting age here, we're getting to the more immaterial. The more important is the flow of information. It's the data. It's controlling the masses, and it's not controlling them by soldiers. And it's not about these physical wars that are happening. Uh, That's a totally separate function that we might get into in other times. But what's really important is the technological aspects and that really is getting more and more put into the hands of big tech. So, on one hand, the state is acting in a very non Machiavellian manner, and that is very foolish. On the other hand, you can see how the technocracy is acting very Machiavellian and taking power and doing these things themselves. So instead of, let's say, the robber barons in the early 1900s controlling the state behind the scenes through something like the Rhodes Roundtable groups, aka the Council on Foreign Relations, or something like the Trilateral Commission or... Uh, any number of things, political contributions, all these kinds of things, the Federal Reserve System, instead of using these things as their tools and their pawns and steering them behind the scenes, well, now the technocracy is taking this rule the itself. And so now it is gaining more and more power and handling them itself instead of outsourcing that to the mercenaries of the state. And in doing so, the technocracy has more and more control. And again, i it's really hard to frame how I speak of the technocracy. It's not a person. It's not even necessarily a group of people it is a system, but it's not necessarily an identifiable entity yet. There is no such thing as a technate. And that probably will come into being. It might not. I honestly don't know. I can't tell the future, but that's what makes it so hard to talk about it. It is an entity, the technocracy, but it's so immaterial. It's, it's really hard to describe, even though it is so obvious and I can prove that it does exist and I can show its influence It's like the wind. How do you identify the wind? Well, you can see what it does. You can hear it. You can watch its effect on nature and on the leaves and on the things around you. You can feel it. But it's really hard to identify the wind itself as an entity. And that's kind of my problem here as well. But this aspect of the technocracy gaining more direct control really plays into some of these points before and that I'm getting into after where the prince lives in the territory to make automatic decisions themselves. It's gaining more direct control. It's not putting that in the hands of somebody else. Uh, The next point is that a wide range A wise ruler will discern problems when they're small and squelch them immediately. And so the ruler is in a position where they are going to discover the problems right away, they have the wisdom to discern them while they are still very small, and they are going to immediately deal with them and totally get rid of them. So that's the idea of as a narrative comes out, as information starts to come out, it immediately needs to get spin. It immediately needs some censorship and some promotion. You censor some aspects, you promote some others, and this is what needs to happen right away as the problem is very small and that's what the technocracy does that's what our technological system does and uh, that is Machiavellian that is the way to act but you need to be the one in charge in order to do that if you sub that out to mercenaries then there are times that they will do things of their own volition or maybe they lose a contract with the state and then they're going to do their own thing so uh, again from a state perspective it's unwise to use the mercenaries but from a technocracy democracy perspective they're putting more and more into their own hands and that is very wise and machiavellian so the next aspect is that the prince should be liberal with others resources and mean with his own resources so when th- this is just the epitome of really the state but also the technocracy uh, you take the resources of others that's taxation you take all of their stuff And then you use it very liberally. You hand it out through all these contracts and donations and different things, and um, you use it and spend it as much as you want. You get some big salaries that you're paying out. All of these things, it's not their own resources. They didn't do anything for them. They just took it from the people. And they dole them out very liberally. They hand out this money through taxation, as well as the taxation of inflation. So they can just print money, and that is inflation, which is a form of taxation because it is taking value from the people and then distributing it as much as they want to. So th- that's the idea of any ruling system is that you take the resources of others, you're very liberal with them. But when you have your own resources and your own things that you have, as far as wealth is concerned, power and influence, these things, you don't dole those out to others and you keep them. You're very mean with them. You're very restrictive with them. You're very careful with them. That is what you must do. So when we're talking about something like the technocracy, there are, let's say, platforms that people use a lot. Let's say something like a Facebook or a YouTube or whatever. Now, there is a lot of data that, let's say, Facebook gets from its platform. So, it is getting a lot of data from its users. That's how you pay for Facebook. You don't pay with money. You pay with your data, your information. And so, as people are giving up their resources, Facebook is taking all these resources, all this data, and it's doling it out very liberally. It is giving it to all these third parties. It's selling it. It's using it for other people to do ads. It's using it for its own purposes. It's it's using all these resources as much as it can and really doling it out as much as possible. And in doing so, it is not using up its own resources. Its own resources, it's building by giving out these resources to others. So in exchange for giving out your data to a third party, Facebook gets paid for it. And Um, as it uses all of this data and information itself, it gains influence over you and it can run uh, ads and propaganda campaigns and censorship, all of these types of things it can do because it has all of that data. And that is why it can do it so effectively. So its resource is to have this funnel of information and this stream of financial resources coming in from that. That is... Uh, those are the resources of Facebook, and it keeps them very meanly, whereas the uh, resources of others that is getting brought in, it deals with and hands out and uses very liberally. So if Facebook wanted to be unwise and un-Machiavellian, what it would do is it would decentralize its platform. It would give its users privacy. It would do something of this nature, where It no longer receives as much data and information, and therefore it would no longer take as many resources from other people, and it would no longer dole those out to third parties quite as liberally, and it would handle things differently, and this would serve a different function. Uh, Is that what the technocracy is doing or going to do? Well, no, because uh, as uh, I am arguing here, the technocracy is Machiavellian. That is not how it will work. Now, the next point is that it's better to be feared than to be loved, and this is one of the main points that most people draw out of Machiavelli's The Prince. Um, He says to aim for both, you want to be feared and loved, but in his mind, at least, isolated cruelty is more merciful than the neglect of kindness that leads to disorder, so this, again, kind of goes back to the idea of uh, Plato. I believe it was Plato's Republic, where he talks about justice and what that is, and justice is order. This is the same Machiavellian idea. Uh, this why all of these things build on themselves, and why you should start with episode one of this podcast uh, before you make it this far. But with this, the idea of... Order being the ultimate good is what Machiavelli is saying. Is that technically, that's what's best for the people. And you're doing them a disservice if you are not maintaining order. And if you're just treating them with love and kindness, then there will be disorder that you are not dealing with. You're not identifying a problem and discerning it when it's small and squelching it right away. Instead, you're treating that problem with mercy. You're not killing off all the rulers when you conquer an area Instead, you're letting them live and being merciful to them. All of this is going to cause problems, not for you only, but also for the people, for the population. And this is not a kindness. This is something that is wrong. It is more merciful to just act with intentional, isolated cruelty. And this is what you should do. Not only is it better for the people, but it's also much better for you. It is more effective to be feared than to be loved. People will do a lot for you if they love you, but at the same time, there is a different limit there where if someone fears you, they will often do even more for you or because of you. Where if someone loves you, then they want what's best for you. They want to follow what you have to say and what you want from them. Uh, That's what they want to do. And the instinct to act in love is something that we all have, but I would argue, at least, it's a more difficult thing to act out and to nourish. Whereas, fear is much more instinctual. It is something that is much more automatic. Uh, The survival instinct is something that, when it really comes down to it, that is the prime instinct for all people. And that is what people will fight so hard to defend. And so fear is such an effective tool. Now, if you go back to the ideas of William Henry Smith, and he talks about the base human drives, well, that first base human drive is the will to live. That is the first and the main one. That is the key instinct. And then the one that I added in that he didn't even have was the will to serve. That is a much higher level drive. So for him, you have the will to live, the will to make, the will to take... And I'm forgetting one, I forget what it is. And then he says the will to know. And the will to know is the one that is um, different. It's unique for humankind. It's a higher order, a higher level drive. And then I would argue the will to serve is an even higher level drive. And so if you're trying to motivate people, it's a lot easier to use the very base instinct than it is to use that higher order, higher level instinct of service or love. And so that's at least how I would explain it. But uh, Machiavelli says many things about it. And so as we apply that to the modern system, to the technate, uh, let's look at an example like censorship. That's the first one that comes to my mind, at least. With censorship, it is much easier to control what people say If they fear you, let's say the platform, if they have the fear of getting banned, of getting censored, of getting kicked off the platform, of uh, having their social media presence killed off and cut off, if that's something that is a threat to them and their survival in this virtual world with this influence that they get through the social media platform, If that is something that is a very high priority for them, that's a survival issue, and they fear the loss of that, then they are going to be much more likely to be in line with the desires of that platform. So if the platform is going ultra woke, then they are much less likely to criticize the woke agenda than if they were just on a platform that they really liked, but there was no fear involved. They weren't going to get censored no matter what they say. And so even though they really like the platform, they might be much more open to criticizing it because that love is a different motivation and acts in a different way versus the fear. And different people, individuals, will act in different ways. So some individuals will be easier to control through love than fear. But the masses as a whole, and this is Machiavelli's focus for the prince, the masses as a whole respond much more effectively to fear than they do to love. So So with the censorship example, if you can instill fear in the people and you want them to love the platform ideally, but it's most important that they fear getting kicked off your platform, then they will self-censor and it makes your job a lot easier. They're a lot easier to control and you can move on from there. Now, if you tighten the grip too much, if there's too much censorship, too much fear, then you might risk losing the people. So ideally you're wanting to build both love and fear. Now, The next point that Machiavelli makes is that image is more important than reality. And this is the basic thing. This is the number one takeaway that I personally got from getting a degree in marketing was that it's all about perception, not necessarily about the product. And this is something Machiavelli points out here, that you create an image, you create a narrative, and it will be believed because the masses only see the image and the results. And so uh, an example of this would be religion. And he said that this is the most important aspect, is religion. You need to cultivate a religious image. And people will believe that you are religious because they see that image. That is what they see. That is their perception of you, is that you're a religious person. And they need to see some results of that. They need to uh, view you. That's the image they need to have in their mind. And that is so much more important than the reality of whether or not you are religious. And so with this, what you need to do is pretend to be religious, but in reality, it is much more effective and much better to not be act in a religious way, because again, you want to be cutthroat. You want to uh, deal with an issue as soon as it comes out up and cut it off and kill it off immediately. Uh, the, that idea of isolated cruelty, the, this is not merciful, this is not love, this is not religion. And so uh, with that, you want to be viewed as a good moral religious person, but in reality, you need to act and operate on a different level, but act and operate on a different level without tainting your image, because your image is the most important thing. And so this, again, goes back to this idea of spinning a narrative. When something comes out about a ruler or someone of influence or a system or whatever that's negative, the immediate thing you need to do is control that narrative. You need to put the spin on it immediately, like I've talked about before. The reason for this is because of The protection of the image. You need to protect your image because that is the most important thing. That is how people perceive you, and their perception is much more important than whatever the reality may be. And that is true for the individual, as well as the system, as well as the corporation. That's why you have spin doctors. That's why you have uh, these PR departments. This is what is being done. You build this narrative. You get the masses to believe in it, and they will because that's what they see. That's their perception. That's what you show them, and you give them some results of that. But then behind the scenes, you act with uh, isolated cruelty and things of that nature. And so that's who you really are. But it doesn't matter who you really are as much as it matters how you are perceived. And so that is a very important point. So when you think of this idea of trust the experts, well, the perception is that the experts, the scientists, the technological elite, these tech billionaire entrepreneurs, that these are all the people that really know what they're doing and And they would definitely make the best decisions for people as a whole. We all know that people are, you know, at times they can be ignorant, they can be kind of dumb. The average person is not so high up, but but Elon Musk, man, he's way up there. Dr. Fauci, yeah, he definitely knows what he's talking about. He's been in charge of some major things that have happened over the decades and very important leader. And so, you know, it's this idea, of course, I'm being sarcastic, but it's this idea that These experts have this image and people perceive them in this certain way. And in doing so, those experts have more control over the people. Now, there is plenty that I could tell you about Dr. Fauci um, that the reality is very different than the perception. And he is definitely not one that should be trusted or looked upon favorably for many, many, many reasons. A random side note with Elon Musk that I thought's pretty interesting, his, I believe it was his grandfather was the president of one of the technocracy movements. So Elon Musk definitely grew up in an environment where this idea of technocracy and technocratic systems was definitely one he would have been very familiar with. And guess what? He's one of these, I would argue, future technocratic rulers or elite somewhere in that class. Uh, Just random side note, but let's get back to Machiavelli here. If we get back to the next note, he says that you need to create controlled opposition and then crush it and use this as an example to the masses. This is a big thing that's going on right now. It's been going on, especially through the COVID narrative. That's a really big one. But what you do is, you know, there's going to be opposition. You know, people are going to oppose your rule. Instead, instead of letting that grow naturally, what you want to do is take some control of that, of that opposition, steer it in a certain direction. You know a lot about it. You have some control over it. You know who's involved. And then you can just immediately crush it as soon as people know about it and it gains some steam. And that sets an example for everyone that, number one, you're very effective. You know what's going on. And number two, you're growing fear out of that. And so people fear you more because not only do they see your response, but they see that, oh, you were aware of this really early on and you've been watching this for a while. You must have your eye on all of these different things that might go down. So I am going to watch out that I don't participate in anything like this because I'm scared. And so that's the idea here. If you look at how a lot of FBI and ATF uh, Stings have FBI and ATF agents involved in them, it's a very similar deal. You could look at something like uh, some involvement in Waco, Uh, there's some involvement with Ruby Ridge, you've got the more recent um, uh, what was it, a plot to kidnap a governor, and then it turned out that the vast majority of the people they arrested were FBI agents undercover, and uh, this just plays out over and over and over again, that this is how things go you get someone that comes into the movement he ends up being an undercover agent he uh, gives these ideas that the movement should do xyz hey we should bomb this place we should take out this person we should act in this violent way and then he gets them all riled up and gets them to agree with that and he's the one that instigated it And then his own department, let's say the FBI or the ATF, comes in and raids the group and, oh, look at this, they destroyed this domestic terrorist cell and look at all these evil plans that they had that they were going to do. And yes, that happens over and over and over again. This is nothing new. It is currently happening. We saw this, uh, at least as of this recording, I think it was a week or two ago, where there was some political rally and one other group brought in some people to dress like neo-Nazis and pretend to be these right-wing extremists and they're trying to spin this narrative... And um, that's what they're doing. They're trying to insert these people behind the scenes to kind of control this opposition to their political views. So, whoever the politician was, they had views that were different than this group. So, this group wants to not just let them continue and do their thing, they want to have some control. So, they try to bring in somebody to change that narrative, to control that image, and control the opposition as a whole. Uh, These are things that, again, are just the way it works. Now, Another point that he does make is that when you're dealing with the masses, you should not take property or liberty away from them. You don't take away their weapons. Now, again, this is the opposite of what most people think of when they think of the state and the government and the rulers. Oh no, they're going to take away your weapons and then they'll have complete tyranny over you. Well, Machiavelli says this is not the right strategy for ruling. What you should do is make the masses effeminate and fractional. And so when you do this, you, number one, make the masses more passive. And number two, you get the infighting and get the different factions to fight amongst themselves, the divide and conquer strategy, that these are much, much more effective. Then the bad guy is them and your opposition is weak. And so this makes it Much easier and more effective to rule over them. Whereas, if you take away their guns so that they can't fight you, you become the enemy. If you take away their liberties so that you are more actively controlling them, again, you become the enemy. That is not the wise way to rule. Instead, you let them keep their weapons and you let them keep their liberties. You just steer their weapons and their liberties towards each other so that you are not the bad guy. You're the good guy. You're the one that's going to come in and restore order. You are going to crack down on controlled opposition in strategic times to initiate order, and order is the ultimate good. And so this is really what's happening a lot with something like, let's say, big tech, with the technocracy, with the system. You do have the freedom to do what you want, and you do have your weapons, and you could say this physically and immaterially as well, where in America, you are allowed to have weapons and things like this, but also you are allowed the liberty of free speech, and you're allowed to use that as you see fit. So instead of taking away your free speech actively, and although this is kind of done through censorship, let let me explain this a little further. Instead of just taking away all your liberty for free speech, eliminating you from all platforms so that no one can say anything on any open forum, instead of doing that, you give them their liberty to say what they want for free speech. You give them their weapons, and their weapons in this form would be their their voices, their ideas, their concepts, their factions, these types of things. You give them to them, you direct them against each other so that this fight... This group is fighting that group, and um, this other idea is in opposition to uh, the previous idea, and so on and so forth. You organize these things, you promote certain things, you do censor some things, but again, you're not taking away all their liberties, you're just more steering it, and that is the correct Machiavellian strategy. Now, as you do all this, you want to keep the masses content. You want to give them games and festivals and things like this. If your support comes just from discontent or the lesser of two evils, then that support is feeble. It is weak. You need to create true support. And so in doing so, you need the people content. You need them distracted. You need them to love you and look at you in a positive light. And you are trying to do this. While fear is more important than love, you do want the support of the people. And sometimes that support can come through fear but you don't want it to just come from discontent or oh well he's better than the other guy no you want them to actively fear you or actively love you and in doing so you give them games you do bread and circus these types of ideas this is the entertainment and consumerist culture we live in that's what the technocracy does that's the idea of the metaverse that's coming out that you know that was my investment thesis for Facebook like 5 years ago or probably seven years ago, was that this is what they would do, and that you can see it ahead of time that the technocracy is doing this, creating virtual worlds, and that's um, part of this whole game, part of this control system, and it's also why these things are oriented towards entertainment. It's bread and circus, and this is a very uh, effective strategy for, for ruling, for control. Now, you want to promote business success, you don't necessarily want to have really high taxes or restrictive regulations. You want to favor those who benefit the state. So you let people be successful, and this is kind of the meritocracy idea, and you let people thrive, you let them have their dreams and hopes and work for them and whatnot, and in doing so, you favor certain ones that are going to benefit you, the ruler, and you make sure those ones get held up, and the others might get actively squashed or might just not receive the help and then fade out. And so, that is something that you do want to promote. And in doing so, it's kind of like not taking away their liberties. You are able to get more out of people, to pit people against each other, to choose the winners and losers. And you are doing this in a way that people feel more free and in more control. This is being done... As well with uh, the technocracy as well as with the state. Think of the rise of public private partnerships and the lowering of regulations from like the Trump administration, things like this. It's more about giving business more opportunity and lowering their regulations, lowering their taxes so that they can do their things, but then favor certain ones so that they are the ones that have more influence control, more benefits for the state, the idea of big tech. And that's the technocracy. So, The last note that I have here is that war is just and necessary. It is needed to establish order for the prince to take power. So don't avoid violence. Don't avoid, um, again, having this crude and negative and immoral behavior that you might have to participate sometimes you might have to be cruel sometimes you might have to be mean sometimes but it is it's it's not only necessary it's also good because you're promoting order and that's what you need to have to rule you cannot rule without being cutthroat and that's again one of the other principles that most people think of when they think of machiavelli's the prince And again, this is what is currently happening. It's not that everything is love and sunshine and rainbows. It's that when you have opposing views, you immediately get taken out. And some opposing views are left to fester and be controlled opposition and left to pit against other people and these types of things but when there is a real threat that is discerned it is dealt with immediately think epstein being killed and things like that and in that is something that is cruel and it is not in line with let's say the light side of the natural order or morality and so uh, that really just wraps up the idea of the prince I am going on much longer than usual, so I will stop it here, and we'll have to wait till next time to get into 1984, which I think is extremely good, and something that has so many parallels that are probably even more applicable and less macro and conceptual. So stick with me. Come back next time. We'll cover 1984. I think you'll really enjoy that one. Get into some similar topics, but different angles and different concepts. And I hope you are enjoying the series. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to the patrons and subscribe star folks that are supporting financially. Extremely appreciated. I thank you very much. Thank you for any reviews or ratings that you're leaving. I haven't seen any recently, but I also haven't looked recently. So if you haven't done that, do that. That's very helpful. Until next time, I'm out of here. Peace. This has been our Foundations Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye-bye.